Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. On today's episode, I have Dr. Natalie Jones. She is a licensed psychotherapist. She's the creator of a Date with Darkness podcast, and I have been a guest on her podcast, and so I wanted her to join us here. Dr. Jones received her master's in clinical counseling psychology and her doctorate in clinical psychology. Dr. Jones is specifically known for helping professional people of color heal from narcissistic abuse. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Thanks for having me on. As you're known for helping professional people of color heal from narcissistic abuse, can you talk about why this is your specific interest? It started out with my graduate school dissertation, and my dissertation study was on African-American women who were psychologically abused by their parents while growing up. In that study, I looked at several different elements of coercive control, and I do think that there's different elements of narcissism in people of color versus the general types of narcissistic abuse. So, for example, especially with women of color, Black women in in particular, which is what I studied and what I wrote about and what I was passionate about and what I identified with, is that there are certain elements of narcissistic abuse that just are not present. For example, if it was a white family, it's just not the same. So some examples of narcissistic abuse or some elements of narcissistic abuse, which would be colorism, featureism. I'm actually embarrassed to say that I don't know what colorism means. I'm guessing if I don't know that a lot of the audience doesn't know as well. Would you mind defining that? Colorism, it goes way back for years and generations. And what it is, is it's a comparison to whiteness and how closely a person of color or a black person relates to a person that's white. That is then translated to be 
goodness or worthiness. So for example, if I have more white presenting features such as long straight hair or I have light colored eyes or light colored skin, I'm perceived um, by certain people to be better, a better version of a black person than someone who may be darker skinned or brown skin or who doesn't have those types of features. And back in the day, it used to be called the paper bag test. That means folks would compare their skin color to the paper bag. And if you were darker than the paper bag, you were perceived not to be as beautiful or not as worthy. So that's something that is specific to people of color where there's this perception of lighter skin or what traditional white features is perceived as being better. So this colorism you see at play in families of color that experience narcissistic abuse, they do they treat their children better or people of color better when they have these white features? I can't make a broad general statement um, for how every family, because colorism presents differently. But traditionally speaking, if you have in the traditional um, narcissistic family, you have the child that is the golden child, and then you have the child that is a scapegoat. The child that's a golden child often receives better treatment. It's still a very oppressive family environment and a toxic family environment, but the golden child can do no wrong. Whereas you have the scapegoat, the scapegoat is blamed for everything and all of the family problems are pretty much attributed to the scapegoat. So when you have colorism at play, traditionally speaking, a lighter skinned child more often than not, is the golden child. And so therefore, they receive better treatment. They receive more compliments. They're told that they're more beautiful, whereas the scapegoat may be the darker or the brown-skinned child, and they may be perceived as not as beautiful or put down or degraded more or comments made about their skin color and receive just poor treatment overall. And again, this is a very elementary school type of explanation, but I wanted to try to simplify it as best as possible. It really does get to be uh, much more pervasive than what I'm talking about. I mean, you have people that their conditions of worth are based on that. You have people that are treated or are abused more physically and in other ways because of their skin color. So, you know, again, I won't get I don't think we have enough time to get into all the different elements of it, but that's just one way in which it's very different. That makes me so sad to hear about that. Thank you for explaining that. I think maybe in other ethnicities or other races, I'm not aware of this, but I'm just thinking of it. Maybe like the most beautiful one in the family, regardless of skin color, perhaps, would be treated better maybe too. Like, I don't know, but. Yeah. So colorism is not just African-American specific, uh, but it does take place in other 
you know, families of color and other races and ethnicities and cultures of color as well. So I don't want to put that out there that it's not on a societal level. Colorism is something in which society has grown to accept and that society also perpetuates. So what you actually see is something that is an internalized racism that's pushed um, within cultures. So I think I mentioned colorism, featureism. Featureism would be comparison or breaking a person down, degrading a person based on what their body features are. So for example, if your nose is bigger or you are bigger in size or perhaps having a bigger butt, those things sort of breaking a person down based on features and degrading them based on features. Texturism was another one. So again, very similar to colorism, texturism is specifically where you're talking about um, the types of hair that African-American women have. So some hair is perceived to be again, beautiful or better than other types of hair. And so again, you go back to um, qualities that are more white-centered being perceived as the standard of beauty. So if your hair is longer, if your hair is straighter, then it's automatically perceived to be much more beautiful than someone who may have coily, straight hair. And again, uh, this is very simplified because Mm -hmm. I'm just explaining the general concepts of that, but the patterns of abuse that went into attacking women and making them ashamed and just really breaking down their self-esteem and also making conditions of love or worthiness or acceptance based on these types of features. As you started out with families of color How did you find your way to the professional women of color healing from narcissistic abuse from their partners? When you have women that are abused or are oppressed by their families, by their parents while growing up, my research showed that they are much more likely to be in relationships with abusive partners. So if you grew up in an abusive environment, chances are more likely than not, then that trend will continue. And it will not only will it continue, but my research shows that the trend will continue and it will escalate, which means that typically speaking, you will have much more severe abuse with an intimate partner than you did in your family growing up. That's really hard. It is. It's really hard. Yeah. In your research, did you see anything specific to women of color related to their partner when it came to narcissistic abuse? Absolutely. And this still continues to be the trend for a lot of women of color today. And it's actually, it's interesting because I'm actually seeing it become a trend on TikTok as well. But one of the things that I've noticed that came up in the research that I just talked about with my participants is their partners did not like women of color. So their partners actually preferred other types of women based on standards of beauty, which is what they're told, but their partners, they did not like women of color. And I think overall, they did not like women in general. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there. 
but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. So these narcissists married to these women of color, let's just say married for, for ease of conversation here, knowing that they, they could be in different situations, but they were married to a woman of color, but they felt like that wasn't good enough for them. I mean, can you explain sort of the narcissistic mindset that you would see someone who doesn't value a woman of color who would then marry one? Like, do you see my logic? I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. Yeah, no. I mean, you you know, maybe it might be better for you to think in terms of someone who's misogynistic. And we have a term for it called misogynal wire. So a misogynist does not like women, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And the misogynal wire does not like Black women. And so even though they may get with someone or may partner up with someone, basically they tear everything down about that person or they tear everything down about that culture of that person, if that makes sense. So they hate the fact that they're Black. They hate all of their features. And so part of it is just breaking down everything that is Black-centered in that person's being. And so they don't identify with it. And it could even be with another Black man. And I'm speaking again in gender terms because I'm talking about women, Black women. But it it can be with another Black man that does not like anything about Black women. You know, and they could be saying, oh, Black women, they're too angry or they're too assertive or they're too headstrong. And another common thing is they need to be more submissive or they need to hold their man down and, and, you know, you know, they can't be controlled by their man. And so, or you need to be much more thin or you need to have better hair or better presenting features to look like this. So even though they're together and that person may lay down and have sex with you, they're basically telling you on a daily basis that they hate everything about you and they're breaking that part of you down. It's the same as a typical narcissist would do, right? But they're making it, again, it's more Black-centered because they're breaking down everything. And if you are ever dating someone that is making statements about a race, especially their own race and how they hate everything about it, for me, that is a huge red flag Mm -hmm. because that implies that a person has, they hate themselves. They hate everything about themselves. So with narcissistic abuse and African-Americans, if you have, for example, if a woman is dating a black man and he's saying, "I, I hate black women or I don't identify with those people, that is a red flag because he has a mother. Mm-hmm. He may have an aunt, a grandmother or a sister. So if you're making a broad statement like that, what does that say about you and how you feel about yourself and your own cultural identity? Yeah, that's very problematic for white women. So I'm white and <laughs> I have a lot of white friends. Yeah. That same thing happens, but it's generally not related to race. But it's like mm. you're not you're not skinny enough, you're too outspoken. Correct. And and right. so I wonder, do black women think from your perspective 
that if they were more quiet or thinner or whatever, that it would help? Or are they not realizing that regardless of race, any woman victim of narcissistic abuse is going to experience stuff like this? It might not be race related per se, but it may be like, you're too much. You're not enough. You're too, you know, you're too skinny. You're not you're not cozy enough, you know, whatever. Like, it's just always, you're not right the way that you are, regardless of race. Do you feel like that's an extra burden for women of color to carry? Absolutely. Because at least for all of the white victims that I've talked with, no one's ever brought up race in relation to it. So I'm like, oh, do they not know that <laughs> that they would be using this with anybody. They're also adding an extra burden of race. But even if they were dating a white woman or someone else, they would still be doing this, right? They're not going to not do it. Absolutely. Most victims of abuse or survivors of abuse will spend quite a bit of time trying to change and mold themselves into being someone that is worthy because that's what being abused does. And if you t take a step back and you look at it, not only from, you know, just a micro level, meaning like just your, your family and, and people that, that are around you, you know, it's a bigger issue because it's also on a systemic level and a societal level too. Traditionally speaking, there is a sense of oppression and there is that sort of unspoken message that whiteness is better, right? And you know, although it becomes a sense of privilege when people can't see that because that's never been something that they've ever had to worry about. The standard of beauty, right? And just even just taking a look through your high-end fashion magazines, what are you going to see as the standard of beauty? When you take a look at people magazines, the most beautiful man or most beautiful people, what are you going to see? I mean, just systemically, those are the images that you see is in the music. Um, if you listen to any sort of hip hop music, again, that sort of also talks a lot about standard of beauty. It's on reality television, um, those messages that you see. And so absolutely, it's something that women of color experience on a day-to-day -day basis. But one of the things to remember is society also backs that message up, which also makes it that much more difficult to overcome those types of oppressiveness, if that makes sense. Yeah. For all of my wonderful Black friends out there listening, I want to say, like, if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you've heard women from all different races, religions, you know, areas of the planet, and all of us are experiencing narcissistic abuse in ways that like we're not enough or we're too much. One of those things. We're, we're never just right. Right. With narcissistic abuse. And so knowing that that's just an extra layer of burden, but that it's not about that because this abuser, they're not going to be happy with anything. So even if he was dating a woman who he deemed as quote unquote perfect, you know, she had the type of nose that he said was perfect and she had the type of skin color that he said was attractive, he'd still be undermining her in so many ways. And also he might be attacking the way she looks. He might be undermining her. There is no way to win. There's nothing that any woman could do 
that would stop him because it's a power over situation. It's not about anything else other than him maintaining power over and trying to put her down in any way he can. Dr. Jones and I are going to pause the conversation now, but we're going to continue next week. So please stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 